0: to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast, and uh, the fir- uh, first hosts, Spencer, and... You, were, you wor- were
1: you worried about the delegation of host duties?
0: Yes, I was. Oh, okay. And the, uh, I have no dumb jokey thing for this one. Uh, this movie rules it... Uh, spoiler alert! This might be my f- one of my favorite movies we've covered so far for a season.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very good movie. I get mm-hmm. that. So, uh, who are you? Uh, well, this this week I'm Joel. Okay. Do you think Do you think this is somebody's first episode? Yeah, uh, I could uh,
0: just be the mysterious presence. It's always someone's first episode. All right, so this is the uh, November first of November episodes, and so that means it's Purple Noon and uh, Black Sunday, and uh, yeah. So this is Purple Noon. I had not seen this before. I didn't really know what it was about, and it really caught me off guard. And so I want to thank uh, more or less, sort of like our guest. Uh, for kind of like forcing me to finally watch this movie that I've been had on my list of like, I'll, eventually I'll get to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it my pleasure. This is one of my favorite movies as well. We've actually covered this on our show before. My wife and co-host Erica, this was one of her picks, and it was just as big a revelation to me as I think it might have been to you. Ah. Uh. Uh, did you say your name? Oh, yeah, I should probably do that. Hi, I'm Cole from the Magic Lantern podcast.
0: All right. yeah, thanks for, uh, coming back. Uh, uh, and you'll be back for a third one that we'll discuss, actually, after we're done recording this one. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, Joel, had you ever seen Purple Noon?
1: uh, Yes, I had. Oh. I had
0: seen *Purple
1: Noon*. Uh, it already had a four and a half star rating on Letterboxd, and uh, it was because of I, I found out it was a talented Mr. Ripley adaptation. And uh, I, I always th- that the Matt Damon movie, Matt Damon, Jude Law, Philip mm-hmm. Seymour Hoffman, Gwyneth Paltrow, I that that's it, right? That's the entire cast of Hollywood. Um, I. Saw that at a... I think I must have seen it in the theater when it came out, and it was weird. Like, I thought it was a really weird movie. I didn't really get what was going on. It made me feel gross. Um, because of... Like, I don't know. There, there's a certain kind of, like... Pathetic evil mm-hmm. that uh, Matt Damon puts in. In this one, Elaine uh, Delon is... He he's also got that going on, but like you, you don't really know what his motive is, other than just like living whatever, like the best life he can figure out to do. Hmm. And uh, but the the movie's so like watchable, like it, it's almost too good to be a classic movie. Like I feel like you could just kind of toss this on, and people are going to be entertained.
0: So you're saying it's too entertaining to be uh, like a cartoon classic? I don't know. I just,
1: I, I know that's a really snobby thing to think but that was, that's like one of the thoughts that occurred to me. It's like this is really good. Like I could show this to I could show this to basically anyone and they get that and some of those criterion are you know, whatever and some of them are repo man. So I don't know what to say.
2: Now, I think Joel's yeah. actually onto something because we hosted pre-COVID times. We hosted monthly movie nights and it was just kind of an odd collection of people from all of our walks of life our friend circles our work circles and the basic through line was that they all just trusted whatever we were going to show and one of the nights we showed purple noon and no experience with the movie whatsoever with the exception of erica and i and it was a huge hit
0: oh yeah i can definitely like definitely see like this is both like a like uh, i don't say art film but like it it Kind of falls in the category, kind of by default, and uh, it's also like it's just a great crowd pleaser. Ma- I don't hey. say popcorn movie necessarily, but it's uh, it, it's veering towards that.
1: It makes me feel it, it's it's the same way I feel about Inside Man um, because Inside Man is such a like totally watchable. Anyone could probably get into watching mm-hmm. this cool heist movie. But it's got that, it's got so many spikely signatures on it that, like, that raises above the slight, you know, I I don't know. It gives them this air of, of, uh, of, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't even like snobby stuff. That's, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't like the idea that there are certain movies that you just can't watch because you're not going to get them or things like that. Like, I'm, I'm totally against the idea of, of uh, somebody not watching something because they're afraid they're not going to get it. Like the way you learn to get it is by watching the thing. So I, I don't know exactly what I'm going at. It's it's a really good movie. That's <laughs> let's get into it.
0: All right. So uh, this is my first Ripley thing. Period. I I I didn't I knew the title Talented Mr. Ripley for a long time, and. I used to hate musicals, and so I assume, as a kid I assumed it was a musical. I don't really know why, I don't know, maybe the title sounds kind of like it could lean like a little theatrical or something like that, mm-hmm. but um, so I kind of avoided that for a long time, and uh, and it wasn't until like a couple years ago I learned about Patricia Highsmith and like her a uh, massive uh, body of work and this like kind of um the pink smoke guys did a podcast <coughs> on a couple of her books and she's kind of a, a mean gross person a great writer but uh fascinating life but she is also kind of mean and gross mm-hmm. uh, yeah and i uh, i guess some could say homophobic even though she was a lesbian but again she's a, a complicated person so uh, i'm not i'm not judging her <laughs> but um, yeah, and so like p- basically, so, or so I've been. This has been on my list of like, yeah, I I'll get to this eventually, and like this is this. I don't know. I did not know what to expect because like the, this was like a, one of the few movies uh, we're covering this season where like I I really had no idea what it was going to be. Mm. So like every plot twist was like it, like like. What, what would have been to watch Psycho for the first time almost where it's just like uh, which I'm sure for some people they like they probably knew what was, was going to happen but for me this was just like everything was brand new I literally had no idea how it was going to wrap up and how it was going to end and that, that just like made it so like this was the most thrilling movies I've seen this whole year mm-hmm. uh, hands down
1: that's awesome Uh, Cole, when did you first come upon this film?
2: It's sort of similar to the experience I had with Black Sunday, in that I was working at Waterloo Records and connected to the video store directly behind us, and the first thing you see when you walk into that video store, or back when it was still open, was the Criterion display. And I spent a lot of time worshipping at that altar, basically, getting all this stuff for cost or less in some cases. For used copies of stuff, so it was a golden era. Let me just say,
1: yeah, <clears throat> yeah, sounds like me with video games back when I used to do that working at GameStop. People bringing in things that were just like, I've never seen this before. Uh, here's ten dollars. Yeah. Look the other way,
2: yeah. There's nothing, yeah. there's something to be mm-hmm. said for first dibs working those retail jobs. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you guys are lucky. <laughs> So, uh, Cole, had you seen Talton with Ripley before
2: you saw this? Yes, I saw them, I guess, out of order, you would say. It was uh, the second version of the story on film that I saw. I don't think I had quite the uh, response to it that Joel did. I definitely see exactly what he's saying in terms of a pathetic, banal evil, but... There's something more sinister, I feel like, in this particular version because of DeLong's potential for mayhem. I feel like it was greater than Matt Damon's.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Matt Damon is a little too... uh, He comes off as too nice, which like, uh, I I have not seen how Mr. Ripley, but (coughs) he just doesn't give off the vibe of, like, oh, he, he could be a complete psychopath. Like he might be kind of like an asshole, but I, I don't get I don't get like psychopath vibes from him.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I assume any anyone that's in Hollywood, you know, for a certain amount of time eventually.
0: Yeah. But his his whole persona is like you know I'm nice and relatable, which I'm right, sure but is he's probably. he's an actor, you know. Yes, I know. Is that that's the, yeah. He kind of is probably fake to some extent. Nah. I'm gonna call
1: him later and ask him if he's faking. Okay. The one nine hundred, Matt Damon.
0: Yeah. Uh. But um. So talking about the whole like pathetic evil angle, this is like a better version of the third lover. Uh, I. Hmm. In certain angles, where um, you know, the third lover, the the guy, it, what, were like, it takes kind of like this type of. S- I don't know, like the maybe the seed of this idea, but in a third lover the guy is so boring, which is kinda of the yeah. point that he's like so incredibly boring. And it's kinda of like a, a riff on like the Ripley idea.
1: Yeah. And I mean that's that's the way Matt Damon plays it in the at least I I haven't seen that movie in like decades, I would think. Uh, so I don't I don't remember exactly how he was but like you know wearing the glasses and nobody nobody seemed to like him he just kind of insinuated himself and in this one we're already in the middle of uh you know uh the end of the affair for for ripley and uh the guy he ends up pretending to be
0: yeah mr greenleaf right yeah. um Cole, have you seen the uh, the
2: third lover i have the Pearl s- movie no unfortunately
0: uh, uh, uh it's sometimes on Criterion channel but there's a, a kino DvD out there it, it um uh, I think it's uh good but um after seeing this I don't know if I can re-watch that anytime soon given it's the uh, kind of a riff off of this but lesser one.
1: third lover at least has the uh, That like internal monologue, like of of what the guy's going through and things like that. Like there, there are very appealing things about uh, Third Lover, and that make it more complicated. Like that, that's a movie that if I showed it to somebody, and they're like, I don't even know why people would like this movie. I'd be like, Well, okay, yeah, no, I get that. (laughs) But uh, this one has hardly anything I would think that somebody would bounce off of
0: yeah i mean like we have to talk about the alpha in the room elaine delon who at this point is like you know like the the hottest actor in europe or one of the hottest actors in europe at the time because it's the same year as uh breathless with jean paul romando mm. and so you have these two like explosive young i uh, like i maybe sex symbol i wasn't around then maybe they well jean paul had uh yeah, yes, I think sex symbol is the right word to use there.
1: I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's it, very interesting to me, to me that the... actors look so similar. Like, I, I found it striking in a way because... not, not only do... Uh, Greenleaf and Ripley look—you know—they've got the same color eyes. They've got the same general face. After a certain point, they've got the same complexion. You know, after mm-hmm. <laughs> after the sunburn incident and stuff like that. And uh, th- the funny thing is that, I, in my opinion, they both also look like Jude Law, <laughs> which which Matt Damon does not look like Jude Law. But uh, uh, no. these two actors—they <laughs> they did look like him to me. Like, to the point where I was, like, looking up to see if one of them was related to him.
0: Huh. Uh, Yeah, I I get that. Uh, Alright. So, uh, to start off... This is just, like, the Black Sunday one. Um, So, uh, that's where I started. Like, what in this movie doesn't work for you guys? And I'll... Uh, I'm still trying to find something I didn't like about this movie so you guys can go first
2: <laughs> Cole go did ahead. you say what did or did not work Uh, did not work the one thing that I found a little off putting was there's an immaturity in Philippe and Marge's relationship it's sort of similar to our discussion of the romantic subplot in Black Sunday it's I know Mm -hmm. what it's there for. I know what it's supposed to do. But it was the one thing watching them react to one another, more specifically Philippe to Marge, that would periodically take me out of the film. Whether that's a good thing, a bad thing, it was making me consider things outside of the story they were trying to tell. But that's probably the only Mm -hmm. thing I can point to that I felt like bumped me out and I had to work my way back in
0: okay uh, and I can get that but I I don't know I was just all in on like trying to figure out what this whole thing was because uh, it's pretty famous like I feel like we can uh spoil it I'm fine with that like with the murder happening for you like 40 minutes in uh that was mind-blowing I, I I mean and I don't mean it like I mean that word like a. Uh, like in its true sense, like I I did not expect any violence to happen in this movie at all. I was my prediction starting it was like what's us to be like kind of a talkie talkie movie. Mm. I did not think it would like get to like murder and uh and blackmail and stuff like that, like uh you know, like so quickly. Or or at all.
2: It's just one of the big Similarities, I feel like that it shares with Psycho. When you see the way we're manipulated in both of these films, for example, Ripley is a terrible person, up to and including the murder, but we are, early on, manipulated into siding with him because of all of the humiliation that he's endured. We know he's a social climber, sure, but it may be a chicken or the egg thing. He was talking about when he was a young man and the way he's been treated by... Philippe all this time, that's a lot to attach yourself to and relive on a near constant basis. So it's kind of the same way that we thought Norman Bates was a dutiful son for the first twenty minutes.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Turns out he was a bad son. <laughs> Just like yeah. that movie, The Bad Son. No wait.
0: That the Macaulay one?
1: That's a uh, the good son is the actual name yeah, of the that's movie. Good but son, uh, yeah. The sequel. The bad son. Hasn't come out yet.
0: Yeah, there should have been a sequel. He has a kid now. Maybe his kid can be in the sequel.
1: Yeah. And then, uh... Marv and Harry break into his house. Oh, wait. Uh, never mind. Yeah. Uh, if I had to say there were any flaws in the movie... Um... the the thing that i read that all, like patricia highsmith i guess was specifically did not like was the you know how they changed the ending because they didn't want this person to get away with it so he's going to get caught at the end is is what we're meant to assume and that doesn't bother me not it, it, i think it did bother me the first time i watched it because i was like well obviously ripley keeps on going like there's other books and and like this, this is not the way that the the more recent movie ended with um, him getting caught by the police. Sorry, Spencer. I, I don't know if you knew that. Oh, uh,
0: uh, mean, there's a whole bunch of books, I'm sure. Yeah. Every every yeah, movie yeah. version is kind of different. You got those John Malkovich movie. Yeah, the Barry Pepper one. Oh, yeah. I, I looked up the adaptations because I, I knew there's a bunch of different ones.
1: I don't know if I'm gonna sign up for this Barry Pepper movie.
0: He's underrated. Yeah. I think he's good. Yeah, he's maybe not in, mean, not not maybe not Ripley role, but I think Barry Pepper is pretty good. I don't know. I have to. I mean, I, I guess I'll have to see it.
1: Like a three burials of uh, whatever that person's name is. He's he's really good in that one. Um, uh, Crawl. He's really good. Kroll? crawl crawl oh god he's got the glaive oh well okay well oh, never mind yeah. uh yeah so flaws it's a pretty flawless movie the uh, yeah the yeah, my only complaint is we don't know what his motivation is and that kind of works for the character anyways because it just makes him seem like he could do anything at any point once he starts doing things
0: yeah it's just like uh he's just this pure evil but it's just like this very basic type of evil where it's like it's the worst kind where it's just like you look at him and, and you just think like oh he's just some like young guy who like hangs out and does like a I don't know like yeah, like he, he seems unthreatening. Right. But yeah, but like it's this that really great. Uh, I'm going with this. Oh, oh, I, oh, yeah. One bad thing I get quote unquote bad thing is when I realize they're supposed to be American. That mm-hmm. kind of took me out a little bit. It seemed a little goofy. Yeah. But besides that, I can um, look past it, because I mean they're adapting and. Um, an American, uh, American story. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's not as goofy as *Bride uh, Wars Black* is with like adapting the Americanness of it, where it keeps the names where it's like French, 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 or whatever, and then like they say like a cookie, and it's like this is just kind of stupid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing that really works in their favor, keeping it American. Their general boorishness, for example, that sequence when they go out on the town and they're riding around in the little coach, Mm -hmm. their contrast versus the other Europeans, them supposed to be ugly Americans, it really works to set them apart and make them extremely memorable, I would think, which is definitely not something you want to do as a criminal. Right. Yeah. Uh...
0: It was so good. Well, first off, um, uh, this is only the uh, this is the third Elaine Delon movie I've I've seen. I've seen los Samurai*, which which was like maybe eight or nine years ago, and I thought was really boring when I first saw it, and uh, I should probably watch it again. Yeah, but and and uh, the *Toshiro Mifune* um, western, the Bronson one, Elaine uh, Delon is the villain in that. Mhm. And something
1: and, something about the sun, right?
0: Yeah, something like that. Uh pretty uh pretty good movie. It's it's not great, but it's kind of worth it just for the amazing cast. But uh and the scene this was just like, "Oh, I get why people are like so obsessed with like, with Elaine Delon now." Uh cuz anyway, well first off, like he's in like uh, swim like swimming trunks for a get drunk of it which which was uh you know it, it is a nice sight it's like some cheap special effects
1: you're saying his his bathing suit was a cheap special effect is that what you said
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i'm saying okay. no no he looked good and so did so in Marge. Like it's like yeah, to get two hot people who are also really talented. Like that's like that's like the cheapest special effect you can do. And that's like yeah. part of why movies so effective. It's just like get get some hot people together. If they have actual chemistry, then like, that's even better.
1: Yeah. It. I don't know. Like I, it, I almost find the attractiveness of. Of him in particular, Elaine Delon to be distracting, like she's supposed to, you know. Yeah, you don't get the idea that Marge even finds Tom to be an interesting person. You know, they don't have any conversations. He, he's focusing solely on, on Philippe, and uh, yeah. occasionally using Marge as like a means to an ends to to get a reaction or whatever.
0: Yeah, but, uh, I, so, uh, like got to lean to something. So the role of Marge, um, so it, uh, I, uh, I, uh, this is a, a dumb, dumb, uh, dumb thing. But like, is she, su- so she is designed, so she's supposed to be the most empathetic character. She's supposed to be the one that we that as the uh, viewers are like, oh, she, we feel sorry for her because she's stuck with this shitty person who's manipulating her and keeps using her. And, but, uh, uh, where, where am I going with this? Are you
2: are
1: you coming out against Marge? Is that what you're doing?
2: No, I, no, I'm saying like it's Cole. <laughs> okay. I'm in Marge's corner all the way because Philippe is okay. loathsome. I don't, you can argue, I guess, whether or not he's deserving of murder, but if he took my month's worth of handwritten research and threw it in the ocean, at that point, I might say yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their love, like, that's, I felt, that felt real to me, the, like, love between Philippe and her in, in, like, a toxic relationship kind of way. And there's so there's so many toxic relationships in the movies that we've just covered like this season on the podcast. When it yeah. comes to Italian or French, you know, men men just don't care, and yeah, it's the, the, the uh... women the women put up with their shit. And they, like when she, after he's been murdered, and Tom, you know, is pretending that like oh no he he went he was really mad he went away. You know he lets her fill in the blanks, which I really I really like that. You know, not saying much. She's presuming all the things, and he just has to nod his head at the right section, or ju- just give her a look in the right time. But she's like, "Like, I love him. I love him so much. I don't care if he threw away months and months of my my life in this research on a boat." You know, we, yeah,
0: yeah. And, so, and like that's also kind of relatable because, uh, uh, I've known people like that in, in bad relationships where it's like, "Oh, this is terrible." either like in that moment or like later on you kind of learn more details of it like i i knew some people in college who were like in that type of relationship that uh it was hard to be around them sometimes because like oh uh you're just gonna go back to this person who treats you like shit and there's nothing that like your friends can really do about it yeah I've never, I've never had friends that
1: I just, like, the kind of people that would just get into an argument in front of other people. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't mind having an argument about a movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, uh, if I was arguing with somebody and they were, like, saw me arguing, I probably would be like, I'm gonna chill out until I can have a private conversation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
2: and...
1: you don't exactly so, uh, have
2: uh, you don't exactly have somewhere to go on a boat, though.
1: Yeah, that's the problem
2: here.
0: I mean, that that's the perfect plan. Like Ripley, you know, he's that's part of his brilliance. He knew well if I just go on a boat trip with them, I can destroy the relationship from within, and they can't mm-hmm. leave.
1: Yep, it's like I got to make sure that dinghy is there in case I need a quick escape.
0: Yeah, which and that whole th- the boat stuff maybe again maybe think of a third lover because there's a whole uh, pivotal uh, movement in a movie uh, centered around uh, going on a boat trip. Yeah, just one of the many
1: movies that remind you never go on a boat with someone ever. Yeah,
0: knife and wait, is knife and whatever. But bo- I don't know if that Planescape movie has a boat in it or not. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, okay, so, the what was this? so one of the things that, okay, one thing I'm still trying to figure out, because I've never read the books, I've never seen any other Ripley movies, is Ripley's backstory of being working class, is that real, or is that all bullshit?
1: I'm not familiar with the story itself, uh, Cole, are you I think
2: you can read it in this movie as going either way. I was thinking about the first two times I watched this, I was more inclined the first time to believe Philippe's rendition of everything, but having gone through it and now knowing how everything goes the second time, I was more inclined to believe Ripley's version of his upbringing.
1: Hmm. I feel like Ripley... Pull like that story wasn't about Philippe, um, but it was something that like he actually pulled from previous experience before. Because I mean he's he's such an excellent liar, you know he could just tell a story straight. And and Philip is partially in on the game, which is why he has to. You know they have they're having that like tete a tete conversation up on up on the boat, and uh, right before everything goes down, it's like. He's on, and he knows if I play with this guy anymore, I'm either going to have to kill him or I'm going to get killed, and that's it. Yep, he acts too late. I honestly thought that uh, because there's a scene where... uh, I think it's after Tom goes up and uh, is mad at them because the... Philip and Marge are being kissy downstairs or whatever and he like turns the wheel and then Philip goes up and corrects the thing and he has to put his hand up to block the sail from bashing into his head. It's like that's the perfect way to, to murder it. Like I didn't remember <laughs> from the first time I watched it how it all went down.
0: Yeah and that's so her first murder my gut reaction was then is he gonna kill Marge next? And so then that was like the big I think also like part of like the part of the movie is making it seem like, well, she's clearing next, and uh, thankfully, it's like, oh, good, the one decent person <laughs> in this whole, uh, uh, well, we don't know, well, we know enough about Marge, we don't know that much, but she definitely comes off much better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. We're, okay, well, we're half certainly. an hour, we're half an hour in, we, and... Um, haven't really described what the movie is. So Cole, you picked uh this. What is this movie uh what was this movie? He
1: he wants he wants you to give a, a slight synopsis of what the movie is and what what it's you yeah.
2: know. We're basically following the adventures, quote unquote, of Tom Ripley, who is, I believe, at least a sociopath, if not a full on psychopathic social climber and it has mostly to do with all of these underlying class issues for me with what is fun to think about and these issues of assimilation and becoming something above your station as it were Mm -hmm. I don't quite get a grip what's fun to watch, why it's fun to watch it over and over is Never feeling like I have a complete handle, like Joel said, on what exactly his motivations are. He's really a mercurial character. So from viewing to viewing, you can see different things in it. That scene, especially when he is literally stepping into Philippe's shoes and then kissing himself in the mirror. Because, I mean, if you're a a Delon, why not? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. That... I started, kiss- I started kissing the movie screen when that happened.
2: <laughs> There's so much to unpack in that scene of belonging and usurping, and once you get into the position that you are covetous of or envious of, then what does that make you? So there are tons of questions that it makes me ask myself every time I watch it.
0: So, yeah. uh, So is he a okay, well, uh, a few things. Well, this immediately made me think of uh, *Chameleon Street*, mm-hmm. which feels like mm-hmm. uh, uh, w- Wendell Harris must have seen this movie because, like, I, I mean, he references like uh, uh, *Beauty and Beast*, the '40s one. So, like, he clearly uh, w- he was aware of this. And where that movie, did you explicitly know why. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Duck Street Jr. is doing what he's doing and playing with identity where here the identity angle doesn't feel like it feels more Ripley's just a, a blank slate where like, where like I said earlier like I, you're never really sure what's bullshit was what real all you know mm-hmm. is like he probably came from a, a, a lower-class family and he met, uh, Philippe at some point. Maybe they grew up together, maybe they didn't. Who really knows? But, like, I, f- I find, like, the identity angle to be, uh, kind of fascinating, given, like, we don't really, because he, he's he's playing sleep at the same time. He has so much life, but it's hard to really pinpoint, like, uh, why he has so much life, even though, like, we literally don't know anything about him besides he's, is kind of this there
2: I think there's a really yeah. interesting distinction to that can be made along generational lines when it comes to him being a blank slate and being so idle when you look at him and Philippe and the generation they belong to it feels like they're the first generation to come along in the chain of their families that are they're not adding to what was built before them they're just consuming what has been produced so far without continuing the lineage, without continuing the business. They are reaping the benefits of all the work of their ancestors and they're just content to idle all that away. Hmm.
0: Yeah. That that really makes me think of um uh the first um Joel, the guy who did that movie with John Louis, where he's a Catholic and he meets a woman a divorced Catholic. What's that movie called? Three Men and a Baby. Now, who's that director? Who does the philosophy stuff, where uh, uh, Frenchmen discuss philosophy with each other? Um, a, uh,
1: uh, a, a, I don't remember anything. Oh,
0: anyway, why but, am uh, I on this podcast? Are you talking
2: about Robert Bresson? Uh,
0: the no. other. Uh, Eric Romare. Wait. Oh, okay. Romare. Way
2: talkier. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're like, um, and it's here, like, Cole, you talk about the idleness and it's wasting away. That feels like something that, like, Romare took and elevated because the I the have seen kind of are about men who are kind of, like, kind of layabouts and, just, and not doing much and just, they'd rather just talk about philosophy and actually do something with their with their time and money.
1: Yeah, those. I mean, those are like educated people too. Like these, the people in this movie. Uh, you know, they'd rather make fun of Marge for her opinions on, like he's poking fun at her for some art thing, like. And I'm sure he knows about art because of whatever education he got before he was on uh, Philip. That is on his own, but you, you get the idea that he just doesn't care about that stuff. Like she's she's doggedly pursuing something she. She wants to be known about, or wants to know about, and wants to uh, educate other people about. He's he's idle. Tom wants to be idle, but that's he's never. It seems like based on how many things he does. Like if if you were to just to make a list of all the different things that Tom has to do in this movie, it'd be a long ass list. You know, he's used to working and figuring out the ins and outs of, of whatever he needs to do to, to get by, right? Like, it, it almost feels like a uh, Oliver, you know, <laughs> uh, <coughs> what's that? What's the story? Um, Oliver Stone? No, Oliver. Oliver, yeah, no, Oliver,
2: Oliver Twist? Uh, Oliver, thank you,
1: Oliver no. Twist, you know, like uh, with like uh, this, the people stealing it for Fagin and things like that, like, figure, I, I don't know where I'm going. It's, it's just, it, it's a, he's a scrappy person. Phil, Philippe is a lazeabout and Tom wants that life. And he's I like, he's just getting his taste of it, you know, ever since it seems like when he, he says that his, uh, Philip's father. Philippe's father sent him from San Francisco, right?
0: Yeah. Which, yeah. Is that which part, makes him dog the bounty hunter? <laughs> oh, I hope he's not racist. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You never know. It's this movie came out in the '60s. It's '50s France. They're involved with Algeria. They may be racist. Who knows? Yeah. Um. Or Italy, for whatever. whatever. But um. <laughs> Uh Yeah, I one w- thing I want with this. Uh kind like the the use of money in this is pretty striking cuz like money is like the embodiment of everything that uh, of all the evil in the movie. In that like, you know, uh Tom wants the life of he doesn't have to work for money and and, uh, like, money is, is always comes up in this either, in a way, it's, uh, a way to make him jealous and envious, or comes up in a way where it's, like, he has to spend uh, like, he never gets to enjoy using money when he when he's quote-unquote successful, uh, uh, with, like, uh, with his scam, cause, like, uh, he like, he gets what he wants, but he still can't quite, um, uh, you know, like, Achieve that, uh, the final step, which is, uh, w- which is like, which is like, uh, adds a s- cool, good layer of, um, like he get, he got what he wanted. He, uh, Philippe, Philippe is dead, he has access to all this money, and but he can't, but he still can't, um, you know, f- f- reach that, reach that status he, he wants so desperately. Hmm.
2: Well, I think there's just not much forethought in Tom's crimes. I think it's part of his problem. He's not a great planner, as it were, when it comes to criminal thinking. He does the short-term thing to get what he wants, but then I don't think he's thinking about, obviously, the massive amount of work that it takes to perpetuate this scheme, and then he behaves even more impetuously when he kills Freddy, and that has to be covered up so he's not really taking the long view and I think that's what causes most of his problems
1: yeah and that kind of unfortunately paints the character as a little dumb and which you know when in the end when he, he's finally like oh only the best of things and we know he's going to probably get it caught in a few minutes it's I don't know why he decided he could rest on his laurels at that like everything has been wrapped up kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. like it, it it that there there we go there's my there's the half of the star why it's not a perfect movie because uh he's constantly kind of he, he's a little i mean he's obviously reckless he he's yeah. does reckless things he's not as impulsive as uh mr Greenleaf was but I don't well. I don't know. I don't know. He does. He does some very impulsive things.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, and uh, like he brought it up before. Every time it comes up, I have to talk about it. I love that you see the process of him forging and learning, like uh, uh like a coat, like a uh, bank numbers and stuff like that. I. I love seeing the process of like well this is how this character does this thing and you get to see get to see like the like the like the actual work part of the scam and you get that amazing sequence with the projector like the old school projector like like that that teacher to have in school Hmm. where like it's up on the wall and he and he's like practicing the signature and like i I love that so much just seeing like the step-by-step um um ways of like this is how this this thing is done
2: yep i like that as Edward. the introduction to a, a larger set of ideas it leads you down the road thinking you know forgery that is just one skill typically in a set of skills that con men frequently have so from this fun sequence watching him learn these techniques and implement this stuff you can then extrapolate what else it is that he is doing in the meantime makes you think oh okay maybe he does have a slightly bigger plan or at least his skill set is larger than i first gave him credit for
0: hmm. yeah and um uh, and uh, uh this this is all over replacement. place but who cares uh when when he's on the boat with with philippe and they're having like the the argument where they're like well we like what are you gonna do like well i'm gonna kill you then what are you gonna do after you kill me and that whole thing and there's a key and peel sketch where uh they are rival conmen who are at like a, a parking lot um in a city where they're just waiting for someone and then they're, they're and they both have the same story of like oh yeah my kid's sick and they're in the, in the backseat of my car and uh, I, I need a couple dollars and like that the whole sequence feels like maybe jordan Peel had just watched uh, <laughs> um purple noon Haven't seen that one. No, uh, uh, I believe all the sketches are are on YouTube now. Mm-hmm. A, well, at least a big chunk of them are. It's worth going back and watch <clears throat> watch Keen Peel.
1: Yeah. We, we uh, mentioned uh, brasson earlier mm-hmm. in in the movie A Man Escaped that that you base you painstakingly see how this guy ends up escaping from the prison, and, like, I freaking love that movie, and it's probably because of, like, the process, like, taking the time to be, to show you something remarkable that, uh, I, I don't know, if, it, you know, like, an ordinary man can do, I guess, but not, not I don't know, to, to come up with the plans that he does, and he, he, even with Ripley, like, Practicing the signature, memorizing, practicing, like, talking like him. The the phone call that he makes to Marge, where he's pretending to be Philippe. <laughs> he's just yelling at her, and, and repeating lines that he's heard him say. It, it... The first time I saw it, I was like, "That is is she gonna fight, figure this out? Like, he's... That's crazy. And the, the second time, I was like, that's actually really scary. Because, I mean, he's like a you know, tape recorder, like a Schwarzenegger soundboard or something. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. I how are you doing? <laughs> junior. Yep. Oh, uh, guys, okay, imagine if, if, if Arnold was uh, Ripley. That's perfect, yeah.
1: Marge, what are you doing with him? <laughs> Hey, so that's a different different podcast material, but I, I yeah that's yeah
0: up. yeah that, that, that that's a riff for another show that we do, mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh yeah like the whole yeah that um but I don't know what to say besides I love this movie <laughs> like it's yep. it's so it was just so like not just not like that, like it's not cheesy but it was like a, a th- it was a thrill ride for me It was just like is he gonna get caught is he gonna kill Marge is he gonna kill Freddie like <laughs> what's gonna happen? yeah
1: that's cool uh, I mean...
0: yeah uh like I, I now I want to read the, the Ripley books and uh just like watch Talmans Ripley and I and from what I understand the there aren't that many Ripley adaptations that are good according to things I saw hmm um,
2: Cole, have you seen any other adaptations? No, just a couple that we've mentioned so far. And I feel like this is far and away the best one. Head and shoulders above everything else.
0: Um, I've seen The American Friend. Yeah, I actually, I'm one. glad
2: you mentioned that. Yeah, that is actually, that would be second on the list. It's such a departure from what you expect. I think I feel like about that movie, the way you feel about this, in that I went into it. Mm-hmm not knowing which way this was going to go. And it's so fun to see what these different actors bring out of that character because, again, Dennis Hopper worlds away from Alain Delon.
0: Yeah, he's more uh, uh, a bit more chaotic than Alain Delon.
2: And then Bruno Ganz is obviously much more sympathetic than uh, Philip is in this film. Bruno Ganz is basically that every man we all want to be this guy we all want to hang out with this guy it's perplexing it's much easier to put yourself in the shoes opposite Ripley rather than Ripley shoes when you're watching the American Friend yeah
1: Uh, that's interesting I don't think I've I've ever seen a Dennis Hopper movie where he was uh, Anything but an old man with the exception of Apocalypse Now, where he's still not a young man.
0: <laughs> uh, he did. Wait, I think he did Twilight Zone early on. Mm. Oh, never mind. I've seen, um,
1: The Night Tide. I yeah. think it's called, which I think is like his first movie. When is Corman once?
2: Yeah, I think it's Curtis uh, I don't know if it's a Corman. Hmm. Yeah, he's very young in that. Plays a sailor.
0: Yeah. It's just good. Yeah. yeah. I remember his Twilight Zone is not particularly good. I want to say it's a season four one, which uh, uh, as a as a fan of Twilight Zone, you can skip season four. It's it's not really worth um, going through if you're not a complete a, a completionist. Mm-hmm. Although that one, that one has the the Burt Reynolds episode where he's in it for five seconds. What about a
1: favorite scene? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, do you guys have a favorite scene out of those, or out of uh, not out of Twilight Zone? Out of
0: yeah, I know I know what you're saying. A uh, favorite scene. Uh, every time he was shirtless, the process stuff, the like I don't know uh, the whole th- the whole movie <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: there are a couple. Cole, things... Cole, what stands yeah, there out? Yeah, a couple things that stand out for me. <clears throat> that sequence where he murders and then hides freddy's body is obviously super tense it's a great set piece but then there's the one thing that kind of clues me into the true nature of these guys character going back to them being out on the town when they're negotiating to buy the blind man's cane and Mm -hmm. it's so clear how other people's infirmities are their entertainment these are just awful people yeah. yeah but i thought that was a and great the, beat of characterization to quickly understand who these guys were
0: oh yeah and uh the the freddy the freddy's dead is seen um insert uh, that song uh when you record when you're editing this later um sure. I'm telling that for myself later to insert the Curse Mayfield song. Freddy's dead. Ah, uh-huh. uh, you see Ripley in the corner eating like a piece of steak, kind of like a like a frightened animal, and it's actually a great uh, little moment of like, uh, you know, this clearly was not part of the plan, and now he's freaking out, and he's he's literally a cornered beast.
1: Okay, they, so you know.
0: t- you took my
1: favorite scene. I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, because what this the thing about it is it's it's funny to me because you know he's just he's just taken out Freddy, and the building manager lady is like oh how was that chicken was that chicken good and he's like yes it was good yeah he goes back in there trying not to show any panic and then he like I don't know how much of a time jump happens did he already have it because we when the groceries get dropped we see a, a chicken fall on the floor so has a, has he, like, prepared that chicken? Because he pulls it out of the oven. <laughs> or was there already a chicken in there? Uh, it was just funny to me when he was doing it. But, yeah, it is totally a, a, like, I'm just, I have to eat right now. But another thing is he also eats immediately after uh, stabbing Philippe. He goes down into the boat hole, uh, the hole looking for stuff, and he... He pulls out, like, a huge chunk of bread. I think it just starts chomping on it. You know, Murder, it's a hungry work.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and I think this might be a symbolism of he's going to uh, get caught because he goes to the fish market, and you see, like, uh, fish heads on the ground, and there's, like, a, a couple cuts where it feels like, uh, it feels like, oh, he's going to, you know, like, like, the, like the fish getting their head cut off is, is him
1: yeah the right re- the manta rays with their frozen in death smile that you see and it's like the imitation like is is You almost i i can't help but wonder like is is tom ripley just a corpse that's been walking around looking for a personality kind of
0: is he a vampire
1: I don't know, vampires <laughs> Vampires have more charisma. <laughs> I, mean, I would not say I no no, Elaine Delon is attractive, but I wouldn't say Tom Ripley as a character has
0: charisma. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Good valid point. Right, yeah, and also that's his scrappiness of like uh, uh, like the when he escapes from the police trap from in Marge's house like that like this him like parkouring his way out of situations it's also like (laughs) oh yeah I forgot he can also do this too and every time it came as a surprise it's like yeah he's prepared well not for everything but obviously, you know like uh, you know he's uh knows how to escape when he absolutely needs to which Mm -hmm. makes me more at the very end of like I, I like to imagine in this version he if there's a, a couple extra scenes, he managed to escape and go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, that's very possible too. I mean, they they leave it open, and you, you don't see the cuffs coming down on him or anything like that.
0: No. And if this was made in Hollywood at the time, I feel like you would have gotten more confirmation because this was the steering system was still, I think, it was still on the last leg. So like, they probably would have forced it of like mm. of I feel like by this point uh, they would have forced the like a quote unquote proper ending if this was like a Hollywood picture of the era
1: I think that's why the ending is different is because there was some sort of standard um, but I that could have just been some Patty Highsmith nonsense I, I read that like back when I watched it originally Hmm. So I don't remember exactly what they, were, what she or they were saying. Whoever, yeah, it's got the inside information.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Tough. I heard who would who would have been a good Tom Ripley if this was a Hollywood movie from this era, mm. from the '60s. Yeah, like
2: late '50s or late '60s. Cool. I can see Paul Newman doing a good job with it. Oh yeah. Although,
0: can That's Paul true. can can he be sinister and like kind of like evil? I I've never really seen him be. He,
2: there's darkness like, uh, in what he does. When you watch something like HUD for sure, there's a darkness in HUD. There's a darkness in uh, Harper. Hmm. In the drowning there's, pool, there's a
1: darkness in in. uh Oh, what's what's the one where he's in the working prison camp and it's got George Kennedy and cool hand luke oh cool hand luke like they he plays such a a character with like an a deep well of sadness and like chaos that that's a character who is like what is your motivation other than you don't want to be here anymore or whatever that's yeah he I think he could definitely go dark like that He's also. but the, uh, my choice is Charles Bronson obviously he's also the only oh, one I uh, can think
2: of that would be as equivalently handsome because I think that really is oh. a, a major component to Ripley's success as a criminal if you are not yes. this physically beautiful you're not quite this dangerous because it's scientifically proven people who are considered attractive get away with more than people who are not
0: Yep. Yeah. Like, uh, also you have to consider, like, the race factor, because, like, it wouldn't be Sidney Fortier. That, that that wouldn't work. No. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised they let him not make movies in 1960. Uh, he, well, he was the one black actor. They were like, hey, we're not racist. We have one. <laughs> yeah. Look at this guy. Hmm. Yeah, for some reason I thought Burt Lancaster off the top of my head, but, uh, I don't know, but that, that's, because I'm thinking of the swimmer, because in swimmer he's very dark and sad and it has a lot of weird implications. Oh, man, speaking of which, Anthony Perkins, uh, speaking of Psycho. Oh, yeah.
1: Anthony, Anthony Perkins could totally do that. And I mean, he's doing it. He's playing, you know, he's playing the good boy with the the psychotic thing. Like all he'd have to do is, I mean, and he he's Anthony Perkins is a handsome man, but he's not like, uh, like movie star. I got to get his autograph, handsome. Well, I, in my opinion, he is actually that that uh, kind of person. Yeah. Well, but,
0: I, well, I would say that um, uh, my partner, she's and and at the high school she went to, they um, showed Psycho because they were talking about. Uh, the book, they're reading a book psycho or something and Mm. apparently a lot of girls thought Anthony Perkins was very cute. And uh, according to this review Anthony Perkins can get it? Uh, What does that mean? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so oh, on the Bronson note, the director of Purple Noon, Rene not Clement uh, Clement, I'm not sure how to to look at I need to hear a French person say it Clement. Much. Clement? Clement? Oh. Yeah, my French is still not good enough to point I can just read it and know it. <laughs> mm. Anyway, he did a movie with Bronson a decade later called Rider on the Rain that mm. is uh, interesting. Um, Funderburg talked about it last season on, on one episode and... Uh, uh, it's like they're trying to catch a rapist and the rapist's name is Um Uh is MacGuffin. Which is like Oh, huh. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little that's weird and tasteless. <laughs> I mean was that was that actually like a name
1: a McGuffin, like uh he was my friend McGuffin?
0: <laughs> I don't remember it exactly, but I remember that weird detail being like Chris was lying about that but he's not it's (laughs) it's weird (laughs) chris why are you lying to me on this podcast (laughs) Uh, it's it's Uh, bronson when he still gave a shit so it is worthwhile well bronson's always worth watching in my opinion but this is like him working in with a french director too which is like kind of crazy because i don't think of him as working outside of america and it's weird mm to him in like a european movie but it's it's not great, but it's worth watching. Just know it's a little tasteless with the MacGuffin character.
1: Yeah, once upon a time in the West. He's That's Italy, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's his name Harmonica? Uh, yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a movie where you're like, he's young. He's, well, he's still not that handsome, huh?
0: <laughs> I, was Bronson never young? I'm pretty sure he was born 45.
1: Oh, he came out of the womb with wrinkles around his eyes already. And the and mustache and everything.
0: <laughs> Eddie he was like, bingo. <laughs> no dice ma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I thought uh, uh, Bronson, Missouri was a real place because of that episode. And I was disappointed to learn Bronson, Missouri, <laughs> what wasn't real. So, what's your guys read on Freddy? Uh uh, Cole, you go first. We, we were goofing off too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like Freddy's interaction with Tom because it's a very clear case of they know exactly what each other is. They size each other uh, up from the first second they see each other and they know how unscrupulous each, each the other is. So, watching them yeah. play off of each other and having this mutual appreciation slash disdain, I think that's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Because, uh, uh, well, actually, ne- uh, neither you have read the book, so I was, I was going to ask, is Freddy uh, in on, like, the scams with these guys? But I should probably read the book and, and see if that's the case.
1: Yeah, he's just a friend as far as I... The The read I got on him this time is that he, the reason he doesn't like... Tom is because he's poor. Not not because he thinks he's a I mean he thinks he's a moocher. You you'd have to be blind not to think Tom was a, a moocher. Uh but you know, the instant like, oh, not he's so boring. I don't like him, you know, and later when the the scene where he shows up at the apartment expecting Philip at the door and he sees tom and that smile just goes oh it's you like that's that's good <laughs> that's yeah I, I don't think i can be that mean to somebody i could i could see somebody i honestly dislike and for my face to go from like oh hi to oh like mm. yeah.
0: i don't have that kind of disdain <laughs> i have a short list of people i have that for but it's it's a maybe a
1: couple list. of former presidents, but you know that, that kind of thing.
0: Well, they're they're, they're not shortlist, but other people too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, are you so, are you subtweeting Cole? Is that why you didn't say it? <laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> no, but um... yeah. So we have purple noon. Uh, I, I don't know. Is there anything you guys want to? Uh, final thoughts, or. Um,
1: yeah, Cole, Cole I, I feel like you picked the movie, and, and uh, is, is there anything you wanted to talk well, about? Well, I
2: think we've pretty much yeah, covered we... everything. I just want to highly recommend it if you want a truly cinematically seductive experience. I think that all three of us sort of experience that with this movie. You talk about how it's a thrill ride. You talk about how compelling it is. And I think that all boils down to we are being seduced from the opening frame by the beautiful blue of the mediterranean all these wonderful physical specimens this dark story that we want to root for the bad guy but do we really want to root for the bad guy it's an extremely seductive film yeah
0: and and, uh, and on that note since you uh cole you will not be on for another french movie uh, what's your history with french new wave
2: um, big fan. I am really, I think, more of a left bank person than a new wave person when it really comes down to it. Anya's Varda is my favorite to come out of that entire time frame and geographical location. But, you know, <laughs> Truffaut, Godard, all that stuff, I I discovered it as a fairly young person when I was really beginning my cinema education. I think a lot of people probably go through this phase. You're lucky if you can time it to where you are the age that these creators were when they were making their most vital early films, if you are in your early twenties and you're discovering this stuff when they're in their early twenties, I think it just suits that time in your life so well. And it's really easy to go all in on that kind of thing.
0: Okay. Um, uh, What's your favorite Godard? Cause ours seems to be the the big popular one.
2: I don't know. It's it's hard to choose. Um, I would say Breathless. I guess when it really comes down to it, because it's that you go with that first experience, that one that made the that opened the door for you. It's it's similar to the experience I had with Fellini and La Strada, where it might not be the best film he ever made, but it's the one that introduced me to that world and so it's perennially going to be a favorite so breathless in that <laughs> case.
0: okay yeah. and um i guess this counts as french new wave purple noon my definition is pretty much like any kind of artsy french movie made from the late 50s to late 60s which uh I think uh, is good enough of a definition. It's it's kind of loose. Uh, so I, I think I have said it before. Like I I looked at uh, several places and I never got a clear definition of what French New Wave was in terms of like time period because I see different uh, different things listed. So uh, this was seems to be like the best fit. Like fifty eight to f- sixty eight seems to be like the best. Uh, Uh, gap to pick in terms of like this was kind of like the peak of it.
2: I feel like Clement is actually kind of a bridge to the new wave because Truffaut for example certainly didn't think of him as being in the same world. They kind of slagged him off and yet here mm -hmm. they are years down the road appreciating him once they really can get some distance between what they were doing at the time and what he was doing at the time. Clement functions for me more as a way to get to the new wave. Without him, you might not get there. But I don't think he's quite that experimental. I think he's more grounded in more traditional filmmaking methods to be considered new wave.
0: Yeah, the two I've seen are pretty grounded in like this is like a studio picture and not so much like a, a young, like angry, expressive artist. Um, type, mindset. like it, it's it definitely is not like like a, uh, Revet or a Godar type style. It's definitely more of a traditional you know, but studio picture. Uh, compared to those guys. Uh, all right. Uh, is there any comparison between this and um, Black Sunday, or? Uh, I well, they I, oh. they both have colors in the title. Yeah, that, that's kind of why I, I paired the two together. But <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, I kind of got
2: nothing. I, I, should,
1: the only thing I can say is Tom Ripley does have a weird way of getting people to do what he wants them to do, right? And mm-hmm. we got the witch. But there's not. They they're they're different films that both are super entertaining to watch. Um, And they're both shocking at different times. Like, the the violence in Black Sunday is, like, famously shocking for, you know, eyeball gouge and and stuff like that. And uh, regrowing faces and uh, Purple Noon. You know, whenever his sudden leap into violence happens, you're just like, Jeez Louise, man. Mm -hmm. Most of us have that little voice in our head that says, Hey, don't kill somebody. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, See, yeah, yeah and uh, speaking of, uh, that—that's what I was thinking. Uh, the French New Wave being inspiring to people, you know, in their their twenties and uh, whatever, uh, around the time period when the filmmakers and actors and stuff would be that age. And watching Black Sunday, you're like, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Mario Bava didn't get started until what'd you say? Like in his fifties, right?
0: Somebody said that. Uh, I think Patrick said he was like forty-seven or something. Yeah, 48. See, that's inspiring to me. And <laughs> being yeah. an old man now,
1: I'm
0: yeah, like, oh, I'm, I guess I can still go do something. Yeah, I mean Cole is a little bit older than you, Joel, but
2: what? Yeah. You just turned fifty-one yesterday.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I just turned a hundred.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Contest.
0: Yeah. So. uh um yeah, so Cole, you should find uh, Tom Popo inspiring then, because Itami was 51 <laughs> and he made that.
2: Yeah, if I can be any inspiration to anyone at this advanced age, then I'll take it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, Purple Noon, it's easily available. Uh, if you've only seen Talented It's Ripley, watch, uh, watch I don't know, the quote-unquote original. I don't think you can say that. It's it's a book. I think that's a different case altogether. Mm. But, uh... I
1: say if you... Yeah, if, you, if you've if you seen Tal- The Talented Mr. Ripley and you like it, you're gonna like Purple Moon at noon. And if you saw The Talented Mr. Ripley and you didn't like it, you're probably still gonna like Purple Moon because it's just super good.
0: Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, the, and I believe it just got a re-release fairly recently from Criterion. I think it's a fairly recent one. Uh, I th- there's so many per year, I kind of lose track. But I feel like mm. it's with the last couple of years they did that one.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, so uh, 1960 picks. You can go to the other 1960 episodes <coughs> that uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have so many at this point.
2: Yeah.
0: Cole, you wanted to talk about. Well, something, I did though, have
2: right? one. I didn't know if this was for some reason slightly controversial because. My pick for 1960 is Inherit the Wind, one of my favorite movies of all time. Obviously a big Stanley Kramer message picture, which is what he was most known for, but watching Spencer Tracy and Frederick March spar in that courtroom the way they do, and getting to see a cynical Gene Kelly after seeing him be the super, you know, America's sweetheart in musicals, basically. It's kind of fun to see him playing someone with a little darker side based on HL minken so yeah I really love that movie but I'm getting the impression from what we talked about earlier that's not quite universal is what's up with that um, I've I've
0: never seen it it's something I never heard of until here's my weird story I used to work on nursing home and one of the people who was there was a security guard at Fox during the 50s and 60s and before that because um, I talked I think it says in the Breathless episode uh, but uh, Joel I, I mentioned like he was a circus strongman and you're like oh he's Lestrada and I was like yeah he kind of was Lestrada in real life a little yep. bit <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then became a security guard at Fox and just in the studio but he uh, is an extra in the hair at the wind um, I won't say his name for uh, obvious reasons reasons but uh and he would always talk to me about it and he would always had a couple like little stories about oh i met uh Catherine hepburn i met like audrey hepburn like i met you know um uh i saw john wayne at the at uh, the commissary or whatever and like he'd always have a couple weird stories and he would always talk about harrison wind and it's one of those i've been meaning to watch for a while but uh he is, I think he has a, he, he's a talking extra. He has like a line or two somewhere. But uh, uh, yeah, anyway, so that's my weird connection to that.
2: Oh, okay. I thought it was a much more sinister story. Yeah. Well, in that case, I think you're going to love it because watching Spencer Tracy, especially completely undo Frederick March's argument. It's one of the great sequences or multiple sequences. In fact, in courtroom yeah. film history.
0: Yeah, I mean, I am someone who loves um, Judgment at Nuremberg. And I find the court himself in that very captivating. And I love Spencer Tracy. And, uh, spoiler alert, it's part of it was because his name was Spencer. So I thought I should watch <laughs> movies with him in it. And it turned out, like, oh, he's great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, um... <coughs> Uh, this this is for November. So a special episode is oh Agnes Varda, one that we're gonna record pretty soon, on um uh, what are two movies? Happiness, a short film she did in the sixties, and vagabond. Vagabond. Two movies I've never seen, and I assume One, one will be depressing.
1: Uh, which one do you assume is going to be depressing?
0: Uh, vagabond
1: oh okay well i'm not gonna spoil it but yes
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh amanda um whatever her gamer tag is her twitter name W oh, WMassLiberty. liberty um mm-hmm. she's she's a guest and she picked those so uh i don't know maybe it'll be a, a sad movie that ruins my day in a good way or maybe it'll just bum me out kind of like other like a more The other movie she picked up really bumped me out. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Anyway, so that's it. Uh, Cole, what's coming up for you in November slash December? Or, you know, however however far you want to... November slash
2: December, we're doing um, Watership Down and Seven Samurai in November. And then we're doing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in early December. And then, of course, our year-end wrap-up show is always our 10 favorite discoveries of the year. So that'll be what we close out with.
0: Oh, nice. I always like those. I always come across stuff that was like, I have to watch that. And then I kind of don't get to until a couple <laughs> years later. <laughs> and uh, by this point, maybe my movies from hell will be. The genre Waters one will be uh, recorded. I don't know. But, uh, it might be, and I record with, uh, cult movie podcast guy, Anthony, I picked, he's going through the, um, um, Danny Perry, Perry? Perry? Uh, I should not say that name by now. He's going through the Danny Perry book, um, cult movies, movie by movie. I picked the one black movie in the whole book. I know, shocking, I would pick that, um, the harder they come, the, uh, Jamaican, um, kind of Robin Hood story, so, that will be recorded around this time, and, um, I don't know when he releases it, I don't know his schedule, but, yeah, so, I get, like, the, so I'll be on that in the vague future, j Dog, you?
1: So hopefully by the time this drops, uh, the first episode of the uh, arbitrary, indiscriminate movie podcast will be out, and uh, that'll be on the up on the movie Jackass 3D or Jackass 3, which is a, a seminal piece in all of our uh, upbringing. You know, I, I remember the first time somebody was like do you want to see a grown man get kicked in the crotch by, you know, like a mule? Because he's trying to literally pin a tail on a donkey. And he, that's that's a real soul-searching moment. you really got to ask yourself, is that something you're prepared to see? And is that something you're prepared to see in the third dimension? Find out. Arbitrary, indiscriminate movie podcast. It's difficult to say and... I hate
0: it. Okay, then change the name of your show then. No, I fucking love it. Shut up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Uh. uh Spencer's
1: oh. on the podcast, by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, December, I might have one or two reviews uh, updated, uh, added to my um uh, movie site because I'll have I'll be done with college for a month so i might so i might actually put up a new review after it's been like i feel like a year or some shit so have done the last one i have one that's half done that's been sitting around for kind of a while that i might actually finish up by then anyway so um yeah uh cole where can uh people find you
2: we are on twitter at lantern underscore cast and you can just search for magic lantern podcast on facebook on youtube on tiktok we're all over the place
0: okay and uh the show's on twitter joel i don't know if your new thing will be on have uh, a separate account or not but there's a, a patreon i think
1: sure yeah patreon.com slash aim podcast uh but, yeah, we're not going to have, like, a Twitter. It's just going to be our, you know, at J D T Movies is my personal Twitter.
0: Okay. And, yeah, that's it. And, yeah, so this uh, is the beginning of uh, Cole Month, because Cole picked the two movies of uh, this pairing, which, so I guess it's kind of unofficial Cole Month. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah,
1: The best month.
0: And see you guys for either the Varda episode or Black Sunday, whichever um, I decide to put up first. Yeah. The show can be found on Twitter at Piano Player pod. Our email is still highandlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening.